0: So if you've got your Bible, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. So Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a chance to um, come to your word um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, as those who are uh, looking to hear from you, um, God, to open up your word and see what it has to teach us um, this evening. God, we, we pray that through the working of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, open our minds um, to this text. Um, God, that we would not only understand it correctly, but that we would apply it correctly, that we would see the ways that it shines uh, light into the the corners of our hearts uh, and the corners of our minds. Um, God, as we prayed earlier, that we have hidden from you, that we have kept from you either willfully or ignorantly. Um, God, we ask that your your word would change us um, as we study it tonight. Uh, We thank you for this time. We pray these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so interestingly, there's a bunch of things that today is. Okay, so today is Michaelmas, like I said earlier. um, But today is also uh, Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so that is the that is the first um, that is the Jewish New Year. It begins this week. That is they're called the Days of Awe that lead up to Yom Kippur, um, which is the Day of Atonement. Okay, and so we talked about it last year. That's why the shofar is out there because part of the uh, the ceremony of of Rosh Hashanah is this blowing of this trumpet um, that has to do with with warning functionally, right? It's, it is it is there to um, uh, initiate this season of repentance that leads into. Yom Kippur, which is this day when when the sins of Israel were, were atoned for each year. Um, and then also um, today apparently is National Coffee Day. Okay? Now you might say, wow, those what do those three things have in common, right? Michaelmas, Rosh Hashanah, and National Coffee Day. It's actually crazy, because they have a whole lot to do with what we're talking about tonight, and you'll see that as we go. Um, but we're going to kind of come back and touch on all the different themes of those days, and I don't know if they always fall on the same day. I, don't, I didn't look to see if Rosh Hashanah always falls in the same place as Michaelmas and things like that. But anyway, um, but it, it, it does this year. So anyway, um, I like books, right? Probably many of you know that. We've got a lot of books I like reading. I'm a big book guy. And the other day, I was at a book sale. And I came across this little treasure, right? So this is, uh, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with Francis Schaeffer, um, but this is one of his books called How Should, I, uh, how Should We Then Live? And this is a first edition. Like, it's a hardback first edition. It's still got the dust jacket, even though it's a little beat up. And I was like, what score is a dollar? Um, and so I was like, man, that's a great book. If you've never read Francis Schaeffer and you like philosophical bent, uh, theology, you would be, you would be, uh, blessed by it. Um, But I came across that book, and I was like, oh, awesome, first edition of this book. Um, And I've always loved the title of that book, right? How Should We Then Live? Um, I've always loved the title because I feel like much of the New Testament is literally asking that very question, right? But half the New Testament is saying, this is what Jesus has done. And then the other half of it is saying, well, how should we then live in light of what Jesus has done Um, in light of what God has done in terms of our electing and calling and sacrificing and saving and justifying and adopting love? Right. Um, How should we live in a way that honors that? And obviously, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about those very things. Paul keeps on using this language. He keeps on talking about walking worthily of the gospel, right? Walking in a way that honors the gospel. Living your life out in a way that matches what Jesus has done for you. And so that is super important. And, and we've, as we've already seen, it's partially super super important because we, as the church, are the stage by which God displays those things. Right? We already read about how God has ordained that the church would be the place where His glory would be seen in a unique way. His wisdom to unite all people under Christ um, would be seen in a unique way in the church. And so, the church as the gathered body of believers, um, if if we are that stage, then it is super important. It is a sobering reality that we should live in such a way that when people look at the church, they would go, oh, yeah, that looks like something special. That looks like something glorious. I can see God working in their midst. And so Paul is going to elaborate that on that very issue in this passage, right? And so we've already talked about it in some ways, right? We've already talked about how Paul focused at first on the unity of the church, right? And so he talked about this idea that we are all supposed to be serving and supporting each other and using our gifts to benefit the community, right? And so he makes... and it makes sense that he would start there because, again, if we as a body are living in fractured, hateful disunity, then the world is going to look on and go, This place is a mess. There's nothing here that is of anything for us to see, right? And so Paul focuses on that unity and, and, and serving first. But then he goes on, and we talked about this last week that idea of new identity, right? This putting off of the old man and this putting on of the new man, right? This new identity. That we have in Christ and what it requires. All right. So we, what do we do? We talked about it last week. We cast off old things. We cast off the old man. We put on this new man. And all the while, we are uh, the, the Bible said we are renewing our minds. Right. We are changing the way we think and believe and value all along the way. Right. Getting rid of the old man. Getting rid of the new man. And being renewed and changing our mind um, through that process. Right. And he particularly talked about it in terms of four different sins. Sins that are poisonous to the community and to the unity that he'd already mentioned. Dishonesty, unresolved anger, robbing from each other. And and, and we talked about that kind of in the context of being a consumer of the church instead of a sharer in the church. And then also through destructive, unedifying speech, right? And that could look at a lot of different ways. Gossip or tearing people down or any of those kind of things, right? All of those were particular sins that Paul said, these are the old things that we need to cast off, right? We can't do those anymore, okay? But we come to this passage and there's more of that, right? He is going to talk about these things um, some more, but he's going to sort of pause for a second as we as we talk about this idea of walking worthily of the gospel, because really all we're talking about there is we're talking about ethics, right? If we're talking about walking in a worthy way, we're talking about the idea of ethics, right? What is right and what is wrong? Um, what's interesting, though, is at least I think, is that Christians are often Guilty of leaving one of those two things behind right we either focus on living and doing what is right or we focus on what is wrong and we shouldn't do a lot of times we don't do a great job of of holding both of those things in place right and so some churches are known for what they hate right? Um, and there are these various sins and they're always talking about them and always calling them out, right? And and we they're known for what they hate. And then at the same time, other churches are known for what they love and they're always um, endorsing certain kind of causes and, and, and doing these good works and different things like that. And then oftentimes they're very quiet about the things that we shouldn't be doing, right? And so they don't want to talk about, about calling sin, sin and different things. We It seems like churches have a hard time doing both of those things, calling what is right, right, and calling what is wrong, wrong. And, but that's the nature of ethics. Right. And so Paul is going to do that very thing. He's going to start out with the right. He's going to start out with the positive, And then he's also going to talk to us about the negative. He's going to show us what we should do. And then he's also going to show us some of the things that we should not do. OK, so he starts in verse five. And he says this. The, the, the positive expression of that Christian ethic um, is love. Okay, that is the defining characteristic of how we should act towards the world around us. Verse five, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again, many of these things we've already kind of touched on at different times. Um, but stop and notice a couple things first. Number one, it starts out by saying this. We're supposed to be imitators of God. We are supposed to imitate God. If that is the case, kind of just, it's one of those phrases that we just go past, I think, but stop and think about what that implies, what that signifies, right? Most of the world sees, um, it has an idea that certain goods are not everybody's goods, right? Like you've got a good for you and you've got a good for you and goods can be um, uh, different for each people. What's good for me may not be good for you, right? But, If we are to be imitators of God, right, if we are supposed to be lining our lives up and looking like somebody else, then that means there's not any leeway as to what the good actually is. Does that make sense? right? If we are trying to look like a standard, and the standard is God, then that means we are aligning our lives with something else. There's not a situation where we get to come to the table and go, well, that good isn't really my good, so I'm going to partially imitate it, but I'm going to keep this one part of my, my image uh, my own thing. Right? We don't get to do that. right? We have to come to God and say, if we're going to be imitators of God, then we are going to look like God in all ways. And if there's something about God that we feel like is not good then we're wrong, right? And God is right, and we should align our lives with that. Why is that the case? Why should we be imitating God? Well, it tells us because we are his beloved children, okay? Because God has already loved us, right? God has loved us, and so we are to, it says, walk in love. And not just because God the Father loved us, but then it immediately goes in and says, Jesus has also loved us, and not just loved us, but he has sacrificed for us. And so what happens is in just the course of this passage, we start seeing the picture of love elaborated on. God loved us first, all right? We would have known that from Eden, right? He has created and provided and all these things like that, right? But then we see a new aspect of love when Christ comes, because Christ has not come just providing uh, and, and caring for us, but Jesus actually sacrifices for us, all right? And so what we learn is that the nature of the Christian ethic, the positive expression of, of right Christian living is sacrificial love, okay? Does that make sense? You hear? Do you get what I'm saying? If, if the way you are engaging in the positive with the world around you is not from the source of sacrificial love, then you're probably doing it wrong. All right. If there's some other, if there's some other thing that is at the core of your um, acting in a Christian way, then something's missing there. Okay. Because we love because God loved us first, and Christ loved us first, and Christ sacrificed for us first. All right. John basically tells us that exact thing in his in his epistle. And so uh, in, in John chapter 1 John chapter four, he says this: Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this love... Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right? So there it is. Basically, Paul says in two lines what John just said in, in 6 or 7. Right? Is that God has loved us first. God has loved us as the Father. God has loved us as the Son. The Son has sacrificed for us. We know love because we are in Christ. And now what do we do? We love others the way Christ has loved us. We sacrificially love people. Okay, That is the positive expression of the Christian ethic. Right? We don't just not do bad things as Christians. We positively love and sacrificially love. Okay, They will know we are Christians by our love. All right. We we hear that kind of stuff all the time. And yet I think probably it it, it becomes almost passe to us. Um, So Paul's given us this positive expression. Right. But then he turns most of the passage, most of the thrust of the passage, he turns to the negative expression of Christian ethics. Right. What should we not do if we are putting on using the language of last week? If we're putting on sacrificial love, what are some of these things that we need to put off? Okay. What are some of these things that we needed to take off? All right. And I want you to think about just as we're thinking about ethics being these two different things, a positive and a negative. I want you to think about sin in, in a certain way. You probably recognize this in your own life, but there's kind of two kinds of sin. All right. There's at least two different ways that you can break sin down. There's ugly sin, and then there's fun sin. Right? Okay. Some sin is is ugly. And then some sin is kind of enjoyable. So, for example, um, the things we talked about last week are examples of ugly sins. Okay, um, dishonesty, theft, uh, destructive talk. Right. Everybody recognizes those things as ugly sins. Nobody wants to be those kind of people. Right? Like, nobody wants to be known as a liar that nobody can trust. Nobody wants to be known as the guy who is always negative and always, like, tearing people down. Nobody, nobody wants to be known that way. Um, nobody wants to be a mooch or a person who steals from those around him or doesn't carry his weight or is always taking and never giving. Like, nobody wants to be those people. And everybody, even those who are people who are not believers, recognize those are negative things, right? Nobody wants to be that. Although, we all struggle with them, right? Right? We all end up finding ways in which we are the dishonest. Um, the, 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 the person who speaks in an unhelpful way or whatever, right? But when we, when we look at it, we say, yeah, that stuff's bad though. Like, I don't, that's, that's not a w- right way to live. I don't want to live that way. Um, and then there's fun sins, right? There's this whole different category. And fun sins are this thing that we kind of, you know, we give a, a winking eye to. Um, or a knowing kind of smile about these things, um, and we kind of have attitudes where we say, you know, sure, I know that the Bible says maybe I'm not supposed to do this or something, but it's no big deal, right? Like I'm just having a good time, just having some fun. Um, sure, things can get out of hand sometimes, and I realize that that's probably negative. Um, but I mean, come on, I'm not hurting anybody. Um, uh, I'm just, I'm just doing something that's enjoyable, Um, and it's not like I'm doing those ugly sins over there, right? I'm not hateful. I'm not violent. Um, I'm not unmerciful. Like, I'm not any of those things that everybody knows. I'm just just having a good time. So what kind of things would that be? Well, Paul gives us a short list. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So he lists these four sins um, in verse 3 and 4, he, sexual sin, impurity, covetousness, and, and filthy talk or coarse joking. Then he relists them again in verse 5, clarifying that... Covetousness is actually a form of idolatry, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, and then he kind of leaves off the filthy talk part. Um, but th- these are sins that we as a church have a particular relationship to. And I don't mean this church necessarily, but I mean the church. Okay? And so let's just kind of talk about them for a second. So, number one sexual sin. Okay? Sexual sin in the church is rampant. Um,. The word that's used in this passage for sexual sin is the word pornea, right? It's probably a word, if you've, if you've studied the Bible for a little bit of time, you know that word. It's the same place that we get um, the root word for pornography and things like that, right? It signifies sexual activity outside the bonds of, of a, a husband and a wife in, in, a, in the marriage relationship, right? Um, it is no exaggeration. I think, to say that the sexual ethic of the church is almost indistinguishable now from the sexual ethic of the world, okay? Um, We have just about caved on all of the issues, and we are progressively caving on the ones that we haven't caved on on yet, right? And so if you think about things like fornication, uh, divorce, pornography, um, oftentimes the numbers inside the church and outside the church are very very close, right? There's not a lot of um, diversity there or, or difference there. Um, our sexual ethic is almost the same as the world's. Okay? Impurity, he says. Impurity is a larger category. Um, it's kind of a general word. Um, but it basically kind of means like reckless, wild, indulgent kind of living. Okay? Um, And so it usually includes sexual sin, but it it includes other things too Uh, drunkenness, wild kind of partying, licentiousness, gluttony, wasteful excess, lewdness, right? All those kind of concepts would would fall in with impurity, okay? And again, I think the case is is that many times in the church, um, maybe we don't live as openly in some of those things But there's also a little bit of a just mm-hmm, You know uh, What stays and happens in Vegas stays in Vegas Kind of attitude right Like these are things that eh, If they happen sometimes We kind of give a little Winking eye to somebody Hey you better watch that okay buddy And then we move along right um, Covetousness Basically That's our national pastime Um Covetousness is where greed and ingratitude meet. So it's wanting what we don't have and being resentful to God or society or whoever that we don't have it. Um, It often disguises itself as sort of healthy ambition or a good work ethic or enjoying God's gifts that he has given us. Right. It's none of those things. Uh, it often, and this is what Paul is getting at in verse 5, it often reveals our idolatries, right? Because what we find out is the things that we covet are actually oftentimes the things that define us. And so th- what it is that we want is actually what is defining our lives. And so covetousness is the opposite of the way the Christian is to live, modestly, generously, thankfully, Those are the things that should characterize the Christian walk, and covetousness is the opposite of those things, right? And then the fourth thing he says is this sort of combined category, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Okay, so at the very least we could say the stuff that we joke about um, is a problem, right? And again, I'm not... If I'm pointing a finger at you, there's three pointing back at me, right? Um, the stuff that we think is funny is a problem. And then moreover this, I would say it's not just the stuff, that we, the stuff that we joke about, but the stuff that we make a joke of. And if you want to know what kind of things I'm talking about, see points one, two, and three, right? Sexual immorality. Impurity. Uh, worldliness and covetousness. Those are the kind of things that, again, we kind of go, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, we have this weird relationship, too. Now, here's the deal. What do those four sins have in common? They probably have lots of things in common, but I'm going to say this. One of the things that I think those four sins have in common is they are things that the, the church and people in the church actively argue that God doesn't really care about. Okay, They are often the kind of things that God says You know what, these are not big deals to God right? Like God is not super concerned with who I share my bed with He's not super concerned with how much I had to drink last night He's not super concerned with um, the ratings on the movies that I watch Except here's the thing And you notice the language that Paul uses Those things must not even be named among his people Or in some translations it said, there should not even be a hint of these things among his people. So again, I would ask the question, would you characterize the church as being a place that there is not even a hint of these things? Premarital sex, pornography, casual attitudes towards drunkenness, drug use, materialism, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Status, comfort seeking, illicit, explicit humor, casual um, junk talk, all right? All those things betray us um, because we find ourselves um, living out those patterns. So again, we might look at this and say, come on, Paul, I mean, like, it's, this can't be that big a deal, right? You're, Paul's not some grumpy old man. God's not some grumpy old man. He's not begrudging us to, you know, have a little fun that doesn't hurt anybody. It's not that big a deal, right? Except, again, that language keeps on coming back. Notice, notice the emphasis of the phrases. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, right? You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral impure, or covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Right? So what is that implying? There is a, there is a lobby for these things. Right? There are people who are out here in the world, in the church, who are lobbying and saying, hey man, these things aren't that big a deal. And Paul says... Don't be deceived by those empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. God does care about those things, right? They are not insignificant to him. They are not secondary to him. Um, And they should be incompatible with the Christian life. And notice, again, man it's it's an interesting heavy point in verse 6. They are the very things that the world will be judged for. Those things separate you from God. They are not only incompatible with the Christian life, but they literally warrant judgment. They invite judgment, right? The judgment of God. And so I think it's important that he zooms in. There's that phrase that says, the wrath of God that comes upon who? The sons of disobedience. Now, who are the sons of disobedience? People disagree on that. I think the sons of disobedient are talking about those who are not in Christ, okay? This is why that's that's significant, because if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you have received Jesus Christ, then you will never experience the wrath of God, right? The wrath of God will not come upon you. Why? Because the wrath of God has already been poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Jesus has received the full brunt of the wrath of God for your sins, Okay, and so I think there's a thing here We might tend to as a believer read this and go Oh, it's saying that I'm going to be uh, rejected by God somehow Because like I've done some of these things and now God is going to reject me I don't think that's the point that Paul is trying to make I think Paul is trying to make this point He's saying recognize that these are the kind of things that the rest of the world will spend eternity in hell for And for you To believe that you can just live in them casually is, like we talked about last week, that grieves the heart of God, right? That grieves the Holy Spirit for you to do that. The world is dying because of these things, and we are playing with them, is basically what he would be pointing to. And so, again, that language, you may be sure of this, let no one deceive you. We cannot live in those sins, right? We have to recognize that sin looks two different ways. Sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's ugly, but it's bo- all evil. And those things we have to put off, and that sacrificial love we have to put on. So here's the deal: if if we are I, I, the, the language of the next line in verse uh, verse seven is is great. Okay, so look what he says in verse seven. He says therefore do not become partners with them or in some translations do not become partakers of these things. Right. And so, man, I love that image. Okay, like it's like I'm not just like giving myself to these sins. Right. Like I'm not just becoming um, a life defined by these sins. I'm just sort of a I'm a partner with them. Right. I'm going to go out and find some people who I can partner in these sins with just a little bit. I'm going to partake of them, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to gorge myself on them. I'm just going to partake of these sins a little bit, right? But this is what Paul tells us. This is his encouragement to us. He says, don't be partakers of these sins, right? Don't be partners with the, uh, of these sins, right? That's not, that's not who we are called to be for at one time. Verse eight, you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. Okay. And the neat thing is, is this, he says, so what's our relationship to these sins now? Um, We are not partakers of these sins We are exposers of these sins So keep on reading It says walk as children of the light Verse 9 For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness But what? But instead expose them we are truth-tellers, right? We've already talked about that idea a couple of times throughout Ephesians, right? We are those who speak the truth in love to people. And here's the deal. I know this is a fact because I've talked to you about, a lot of you, about this very issue, right? I know that a lot of you have played the role of truth-teller in the lives of your friend and fa- friends and family, right? You have been the person who has gone to that loved one or that friend and said, Listen, this thing that you are doing... Is wrong And you should not be doing that And I know again from conversations That many times they have rejected that And sometimes they have rejected you Because of that right um, You have done that And they have rejected you because of it But hear me and and I know that it's hard But also hear this encouragement You are doing what you're supposed to be doing Alright. Now, again, I can't speak to how much gentleness and love you showed when you talked to that person, right? Like that, there may be something there, um, and the reason why it was rejected is because you came at them in a haughty way, um, or a self-righteous way or, or something like that, right? So I can't speak to that as to how you, um, how you engage that person. But if you spoke the truth in love and they rejected that and rejected you for it, then all I can say is, uh, Friend, you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, right? We are called to be exposers of those things, right? We are called to be people who shine the light of Christ into those places. And so, again, Paul is, is in verse 12, he says, For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret, right? Right? Um, These things, these these behaviors that we sometimes are partners in, that he's calling us not to be partners in, are things that not only should there not be a hint of them, but, man, we we shouldn't even talk about them. Like, we shouldn't even speak the words um, and and have those things out in the open because they are so abhorrent to God. If we say nothing, then... It is functionally us saying that darkness is right. That lie is truth, and it treats those people around us, those loved ones, as if their eternal destiny was insignificant, right? That it didn't make any difference to us. That they can continue to live in a way that will bring judgment upon them, and, and we don't care, okay? But that's not what we're supposed to do, because 13, but when anything is exposed by the light... It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And so therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so the deal is, is our mission is clear here. And I want you to see, that's how these all three of these things come together. This is how Michaelmas... And this is how Rosh Hashanah and this is how Coffee Day come together at the end, right? Um, because for one thing, what, what does this passage say at the end? It says, awake, O sleeper, right? Wake up to these things. And he's not just talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Okay, He's saying, guys, you have lived in these patterns for a long time and, and, and been sleepy on them. So some of these things you need to wake up from. National Coffee Day. Right, um, you need a shot of caffeine to wake you from your slumber because in your slumber you have not paid attention to a lot of these things. Right. Moreover, it says also arise from the dead. Right Again, it, it could just be symbolic language, but man, that is strong language for somebody who is already alive in Christ. And so I feel like that's also a call to the lost. Right. It is to say you are under God's condemnation. You were under the wrath of God because of these things. So, you know what? Um, rise from the dead, not on your own doing, but through Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ and be resurrected in Christ. And so I think the case is, is that is also what we see with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay? Rosh Hashanah is all about repentance. That's sort of the big theme of Rosh Hashanah. There's, there's different stuff, but that's one of the big themes. It is, it is, when we blow that trumpet, right, what that is supposed to symbolize is a warning call. Right? It is a, it is a call to awareness and a call to battle because The day of judgment is coming. Yom Kippur is a week and a half away, or however many days it is, right? The day of judgment is coming where we will have to answer for our sins, okay? And so what is the deal? Rise up, right? Rise from your dead. Rise from the dead and trust in Christ. And again, and Christ will shine on you. Um, In 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 this idea of Michaelmas, right, it's about one of the big themes in Michaelmas is this idea of saying we can defeat the sin that is in our lives. Not because we are capable, but because Christ in us is capable. Okay? So if you look to these things and you say, man, Ash, there's some of these things that are a pattern in my life that I just feel like I wouldn't want to give up or I couldn't give up. Um, And maybe it's the other stuff that we talked about last week, the ugly sins. Maybe it's the fun sins that we talked about this week. Um, And you say, man, there's there's just something that I couldn't give up recognize this, Christ coming into your life and shining his light into your life is evil defeating. Okay? That Christ is capable of changing those things in your life. But we have to we have to respond to that call, right? We have to do exactly what Paul's been telling us. Take on, take off, renew our minds, turn from sin, turn to Christ, love, not partake in all of these things. So here's the deal. Let Let your light shine, right? Be a person who is living in keeping with the gospel and who is shining that light into the ugly places in the world. Um, When somebody tries to do that in your life, receive it with humility. Um, When somebody says, hey, man, there's this thing in your life and it is not in keeping with the gospel, be willing to at least step back and say, I'm going to investigate that. I'm going to pray on it. I'm going to see if what you're talking about is accurate. Don't just buck it immediately and turn away from it, right? Wake up. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, there are so many of these things, so many aspects of these sins that, God, every single one of us probably. um, We know that there are dark places in our lives and hearts and thoughts um, where we live in these things, where we are partakers and partners um, with these things in our lives. God, if we have treated these things in a flippant way, we ask that you would chastise us with the language that we find in this passage, God, that there should not even be a hint, that these things should not even be named, that we should not be deceived by foolish talk, that we should be sure of the reality of these things. God, that you are not indecisive on these issues, that you have called us to live a certain way, that you have called us to live in love and holiness and that that is in keeping with the gospel by which we have been saved. God, help us to do that. Um, Help us to live our lives, to put sin to death in our lives, um, and to live as holy people who represent your son and your gospel and your church in a worthy way. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.